Welcome back to Writers' Festival Radio. My name is Sean Wilson. I'm the Artistic Director of the Ottawa International Writers' Festival. We're broadcasting from the unceded and unsurrendered territory of the Algonquin Anishinaabeg, and it gives me great pleasure to welcome you to Season 3 of the podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for allowing us to continue to celebrate and support great writing and to serve our wonderful community. Our official bookseller is Perfect Books on Elgin, and wherever you are right now, there's an independent bookseller nearby who would be more than happy to sell you some great books. Our host today is writer, editor, and visual artist Manahil Bandukwala, winner of Room's Emerging Writer Award in 2019. She spoke with Governor General's Award nominee Tessa McWatt. Tessa is the author of numerous acclaimed novels and two books for young readers. Her memoir, Shame on Me, An Anatomy of Race and Belonging, won the Bocas Prize for Nonfiction in 2020. Professor of Creative Writing at the University of East Anglia, her latest publication is The Snowline, a novel about four travelers arriving in northern India in 2009. The Sydney Morning Herald says Tessa McWatt has constructed a moving epic that rises from intimate, complex character portraits written with tenderness and precision. Here's Manahil Bandukwala in conversation with Tessa McWatt. Hi, Tessa. It's really lovely to be here chatting with you uh, today. We're going to talk about uh, Tessa McWatt's new forthcoming novel, The Snow Line. Um, so, Tessa, to start out with, the novel follows the stories of four characters who have these different connections to India, but each character in their own way uh, sort of grapples with the tenuous nature of these connections and how much they can root themselves there. Um, in particular, I really like the connection between the characters of Rima and Jackson that happens at the beginning of the novel. They're both invited to a wedding. Um, Jackson is an elderly white man who's worked in India um, and he doesn't have any kids of his own. And meanwhile, Rima is uh, kind of going through, um, she, she's witnessing her friend and all these people who have these generations of elders and she kind of longs for that herself. And so you bring together these characters, uh, one who doesn't necessarily have um, the descendants and one who doesn't have elders and they really bond here. So I was hoping you could talk about them and, and their friendship. Yeah, thank you. And thanks for talking with me. It's a real pleasure. And um, the, I think the, the key, you've, you've, you've um, touched on the key of the book, which is that nobody, none of those people actually belongs, none of those four belongs in, in India. Um, and yet they're all back with varying um, uh, kind of conflicts around their, 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 their nature of belonging, the nature of who they are as a way through unbelonging. And so it's a group of four people who don't belong, and they have to find a way to belong together to, um, to well, to travel and to, to sort of look after the, the wishes of the elderly white man. And so it becomes a little bit of a burden for the three others. And the, and the relationship that particularly between Rima and Jackson, as you mentioned, is the central relationship because it's about old and young. And it, so it's an intergenerational um, connection. She doesn't have grandparents that she knows. He becomes a kind of um, uh, sort of source of interest and sort of intrigue for her, for him, 
sorry for her because he has had a long-term love that um, with his wife, his ashes she has he has in um, his suitcase who he's looking uh, which he's looking to scatter uh, in the Himalayas and so um, it becomes a, a a kind of bond of love between them that grows slowly a kind of grandparent and intergenerational love but also it's about the love that um, Jackson has and has had for Amelia his um, deceased wife and how Rima is in the in the moment of trying to understand her own relationship to love and her own relationship to family. Um, I thought it was also interesting um, how I guess like Rima is kind of looking for these grandparent figures and in the end she finds it in, in a white man um, and someone who doesn't have a, I guess, racial connection to India, but is very deeply rooted there. And that's the place that he wants to scatter his wife's ashes. Yeah. I think that Rima's connection to Jackson is not anything to do with his culture. She she rejects who he is. She rejects him as a man, a white man who um, traveled across the world and actually didn't you know, witnessed but didn't see. I think that's the key to, to Jackson. He witnessed a lot of events. He witnessed a lot of the world, but actually doesn't see it and doesn't didn't see things. And so she's she she rejects that. But what but what she responds to him is uh, about in him is purely his um, his his humanity. You know his his um, sense of playfulness, his sense of himself as um, an old man. You know she kind of appreciates his his humor and um, and her own sense that she is connected to an older person that she's starting to to know through this long journey. And I think mostly, as I said, she's really connected to his love for his wife. Mm -hmm. um, another thing like with the characters um, that I, I thought really worked for the narrative was how as readers were kind of invited to see India with them and almost them sort of being on the outside. Um, allows for their their thoughts to invite um, the reader in. And I was wondering narrative wise, how that functioned. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm an outsider to, to India and I don't, didn't, and I really felt that I didn't, couldn't have mm -hmm. um, with all legitimacy written from the inside. So all my characters are observing. And in that way, I was able to um, make conflicting observations. Um, so my own conflicting observations, but also conflicting observations that come from research about those characters in the background, particularly of Yosh and his um, uh, cast and the cast that he's uh, rejected and the political situation mm -hmm. around um, Dalits in, in India. So for me, it was a way of of exploring those issues that I'm interested in around belonging, but also around power and around, um, you know, um, uses of power politically um, on, on state levels, as well as on interpersonal levels. Mm -hmm. So it was really a, a way for me to explore all those things by doing the research, but also keeping everybody outside as a way of bringing the reader into a lot of different perspectives about that journey. I Spoke to Farzana Doctor, um, another Toronto-based writer for the uh, Ottawa Writers Festival um, a couple of seasons ago. 
And she was talking about kind of the fun aspects of researching, especially researching a place where you're not located. Um, And I wanted to ask a bit about your process of doing that. Did you visit? Were you able to visit? Yeah, yeah, no, I, it, it was, it was sparked by a visit that I, I've always wanted to be, to go to India. And so I, and I went and I, and I, I, it's, there are places in my background that I've always wanted to seek out. And India is one of them. Um, even though I have no contemporary connection to it, it feels, it felt like something that I wanted to explore for myself. Um, and so I did, and that sparked the book. Um, because it sparked my outsider mm-hmm. feeling, you know, so, so, uh, you know, biology isn't um, belonging. And so <laughs> I, I wanted to explore that. And I, and, and the main character of Jackson came to me on that first trip, because I thought there's so much about, um, about my feelings when I was in India, about the complexity of it, mm-hmm. that someone who, who's been there um, in terms of been there with power and versus been there without power is, is a really interesting mm-hmm. dynamic that I wanted to explore. And so I, I, I visited and stayed for a month the first time. And then the second time um, in order to complete the book, I, I also stayed for another month. Um, and so that was wonderful. I had, I have friends there who, sort of helped me to be a part of a certain mm-hmm. um, society in the in, up in the Himalayas and so that was that was really lovely and um, but also I did a lot of book research and internet research and and in order to to um, uh, explore those characters in particular but also the history that Jackson witnesses as I said he there's a there's an event in which he witnesses it but he doesn't see and I wanted to explore the context of that event um, in order to give the the reader a sense of what he's doing there at that time and what what not not seeing actually means for the the characters at that particular moment mm-hmm. um was the the wedding something that was part of um I guess your initial trip but that was a way to set up this contrast between belonging of the um the kind of the bride and groom and Jyoti in the wedding and her around with her family versus the other characters yeah and and also because the a wedding is a is a place of union you know it's a place of belonging and it's a place uh, and it and if you and if you're at a wedding and you don't feel like you belong it's one of the most uncomfortable things that you can do and so it was a place to set up this disruption that goes on for all mm-hmm. of the four characters that are um go on the the, the inevitable journey mm-hmm. with the, together and so it was a contrast you know that the wedding is a place where things are are, are full of um of beauty and mm-hmm. harmony and music and yet what the, the trip that they go on is one that's um full of memory of disruption and full of memory of of all the difficulties mm-hmm. that each of them has mm-hmm. um this is probably like unintentional on your part, but a lot of uh, reading this novel reminded me of Bollywood movies. Um, oh, really? <laughs> I'm a huge fan of. Yeah, it. It. Um, like there's a specific kind of road trip subgenre of them. Yeah. Um, and th- there's a wedding, and then you have characters who go on a journey, and through this journey, um, kind of find out about themselves. And I really like how. Uh, well, those films sort of moved a little away from the conventions of 
some of the more like over the top and flashy mm. um, style films and really started going into the hearts of characters and also the broader socio-political climate of, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of oh, that's, India. That's, and I didn't, I, that wasn't intentional. <laughs> I mean, I have watched Bollywood films, but I, well, I didn't know that there was a whole subgenre that began at a wedding, but I do, I do, you know, that, that was, it was intentional that, we went from a kind of harmony mm-hmm. to rupture at, at towards the end. Um, and uh, something that kind of comes up in, in the book, and you also mentioned um, a little bit, is like the sublime mm-hmm. um, and that experience of the, the Himalayas and the mountains. Um, I mean, I've been to North Pakistan and mm-hmm. it's kind of the same mountain range that extends there. And it, it really, it really is. Yeah. Um, and that, yeah, I think it's something that you can't ignore, you know, that mm-hmm. just the the um, the magnificence of of being in that range is, is it kind of shuts you up a little bit, you know, it's so and, and thoughts tend to be less mm-hmm. for me, for me anyway, they tended to be just sort of less analytical and, and slightly more um, uh, sen- uh, it was a more sensual experience mm-hmm. for me. So, and and you know, it's a cliche to say that it's a spiritual experience, and and but it but it somehow is. Um, yeah, and that especially comes through, I guess, the character of Yosh um, mm-hmm. and his practice as uh, a yoga teacher and what he brings mm-hmm. yeah. um, to the squad of people. Yeah. And, you know, Yosh is complicated because he doesn't see it as necessarily spiritual, even though mm-hmm. he's, a, he's, he's a, um, he's a mix of, of all kinds of things, you know, now a Canadian going back to mm-hmm. India and, ha- and, and as a, as a yoga teacher who, and, and yoga um, in India for a Dalit is complicated. Um, and so it's, 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 he's full of, and, and also I, I don't give him a point of view. I, I have the other two characters um, interpret him through their points of view, so there there could be very wrong in all, in in their interpretation. So I, he's a bit of a mystery because he's a bit of a mystery to me as a as a person, and and I think I I kind of wanted to maintain that sense of him um, not as completely pinned down at, because he's been seen through the eyes of Rima and Jackson. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess like in line with this sense of the busyness of thoughts um sort of tempering when you're in this space um I also wanted to ask you about time mm. um the book opens with an epigraph from Anne Carson's Red mm. Dock um in in which Carson writes time passes time does not pass time all but passes time usually passes time passing and gazing time has no gaze Time is perseverance, time is hunger. And in even what sets off this road trip is uh, Yosh and Monica kind of uh, saying, we don't know how long we're gonna be there. Mm. And at that very outset, time is sort of pushed aside. It's gonna take as long as it needs to take. Um, and I want to ask about that epigraph and how, how you see time and kind of the stopping of it and, the personification of it a bit um, yeah. in the narrative. Oh, that's a really great question. Um, I, I think that um, the, the time in the book is 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 limited by 
the by the space of the of the journey but it also what it allows it to, to do is for us to journey and for the characters to journey down and out and back and forward because it becomes time becomes um something that's much more um fluid because they they they're on a journey that seems to be going forward but most most of mm -hmm. the their thoughts are about the past um and and so the and the, the and you know Rima has this uh, question of what her future will be and so it's contained in this journey but it allows for all kinds of um, sort of resonances of the past and Jackson being his age I've experienced this with many elderly people you know he slips in and out of the past in a in within a second and he doesn't recognize that border so it's a kind of borderless um, way of being in in mm. the world for him, and I really enjoyed that borderlessness. I, I I enjoyed the fact that underneath our present, the past is shifting in sort of tectonic plates at all the time, and it causes disruptions in the present. But it also um, is, if we look at it as fluid, um, it, what what um, Anne Carson is saying, and the, the the bit that I love about that that quote is, you know, time is hunger. Time is something that we pursue as a thing that we can contain and but we can't you know it marches on but also it isn't linear and so it's a mm -hmm. it's a it's a real um paradox really yeah there's a moment where jackson kind of goes back to a time like in his head where amelia is alive and his father is alive and mm -hmm. he's able to slip out of that um kind of sadness of, of mm -hmm. his wife's death a bit um, yeah, and for Jackson, those lines, those borders between past and the present become completely messed up by the end. You know, he's he's not he's not in any one time. He, they all exist as a chapter in which they all exist at at, at the same time. And I think um, that is is the the beauty of time. If we get rid of those that sense of linearity, mm -hmm. you know, that that there is a space where there there isn't. Um, linearity and I think that's what happens what's happening in his brain as he um, gets older which is what's happening in lots of people's <laughs> brains that I know who are um, elderly. Uh, there's also a way that extends to the belonging and mm. that theme and the way belonging cannot be contained and the characters Rima especially sometimes like seems to want to find a way to contain belonging but it mm -hmm. is it is fluid and different parts of it emerge at different times yeah that's a really good comparison i hadn't thought of those two together in 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 the same space um but yes she and my whole whole kind of understanding of belonging is that belonging to one thing i have never been able to to be or do either um, ethnically or culturally or nationally. Um, so I've been, you know, moving and, and um, my belonging has been quite fluid. And I think that's what she's experiencing as well. In order, she wants, she wanted to try to pin something down, but isn't able to. And, you know, I think by the end, she's, uh, well, we don't know what she's going to do, but by the end, she um, has a better understanding of those fluid boundaries. And I think a better acceptance of it, that it's not something that, well, in the context of the book, it's not necessarily going to come from um, her Indianness, and it doesn't need exactly. to. 
exactly it's, it's more about the connections that she makes exactly um, yeah that's exactly it so that so that biology isn't belonging and nationality is is it might be for some people but for some people it's not for some people it's difficult to have that sense and she's one of those people and it's not a failure to not feel those things mm-hmm. um at this point i'd like to invite you to share an excerpt from the book okay Would you like to go up north, she says. He cocks his head. The sun is warm on her shoulder. She pushes her hair behind her ear. I thought maybe you'd like a bit of a road trip. Monica has hired Yosh to take us to the mountains. Jackson straightens up and tries to remember what month it was, which year, where they had been living when he and Amelia were in the Himalayas together. It's an option he hadn't considered. Interesting thought, he says. Amelia loved the snow, loved the windowsill-high piles of it in their front yard in Boston. Once, as they learned to cross-country ski at a Berkshire resort, both of them in their 60s with time and a bit of energy left, she said, as the snow glittered, the sun nearly blinding them, we could lie down here and sleep. It would be one way to go before the indignities begin. Freezing and drowning are supposed to be the easiest, and they'd only find us once the snow melted. When he laughed and agreed with her, it felt like a pact, which was as much of one as they'd ever had on the subject. So why not take her to the snow and then just lie down and be done with it? Do you want to think about it? I'll come back with more details once I have them, Rima says. Yes, good, he says. She touches his arm like someone on the same team, like a comrade in arms, and leaves him. I hug the rifle against my shoulder, step in line with the Venezuelan boys who want to go to war, but their country insists they are neutral. Their country has brought minesweepers from fascist Italy and a Coast Guard from the, American, from the Americans to protect their oil. And while my brother is away at university and I have no one to talk to, sorry, I'm going to start that bit again. I hug the rifle against my shoulder, step in line with the Venezuelan boys who want to go to war, but their country insists they are neutral. Their country has brought minesweepers from fascist Italy and a Coast Guard from the Americans to protect their oil. And while my brother is away at university and I have no one to talk with of war, I volunteer with the artillery and parade in Caracas with a rifle, like playing capture the flag with boys on the streets of Calgary. Thank you so much um, for sharing that. I love um, how you kind of have Jackson in the present. Um, it also just, it, it's a really beautiful moment of the kind of love he shares with Amelia. Um, yeah, he has he has those throughout, um, those, those kinds of memories in which I hope what the reader gets is a sense of their love and their long-term relationship. And then, a little bit later on they they kind of get a little bit disturbed by by some of his memories so um i it, it, i hope it complicates the fact of a love a long term love and a long term marriage um definitely also um wanted to ask about these uh italicized kind of flashbacks and why um yeah some, sometimes they oftentimes they close chapters sometimes they kind of appear in the middle um, as these little vignettes uh, and and why did you choose to present it like that? 
Yeah, it's as we were talking about earlier time, you know, they these are the these are the his memories that interrupt his present. So they come up at different places in his point of view, in his um narrative in which he's um remembering things, but there he's th these memories also serve to be a part of the the reader's understanding of the political and historical context in which we are um, traveling with this old man. And, and it's those boundaries between the past and the present that appear first as um, italicized um, disruptions, and then get, a, get slightly more um, uh, melded into the main narrative later on. Mm -hmm. um, and like a lot of the book follows uh it's kind of third person from Rima's point of view. So I like how this introduces Jackson's past and how he how he got to this wedding. Um, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, the, the italicized versions give some backstory, I guess, um, and, and round out the relationship. But also the fact that they interrupt some of Rima's perspective, I think is it was an important um, sort of structural element for me because I want the reader to keep in mind that there are these two perspectives all the time because um, you know as we go through, Jackson's gets more unreliable. And, and so it's important that you know we, we have a sense that there are two, um, two voices there all the time, one in the two, two of them in the present and then a third one from Jackson in the first person that is in the past. And it's important that there's a kind of whole picture of the past and the present by those three perspectives. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm also just, uh, I guess I wanted to ask about um, back to like the sense of setting up a narrative and especially setting up multiple perspectives with with uh these different um characters is i like how in the prologue it's kind of you have this this arrival of the characters and it's, it's almost like introducing a cast um in a play yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> yeah yeah exactly that that is how the the prologue is meant to function as a as as an authorial voice that comes in um, and introduces the characters, and then um, you know the it, it it's a very interesting and difficult in some ways um, technical exercise to have two close per, close third person narratives working with each other in often within the same page, and you know it's 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 a bit like having the camera move, you know, so that the camera moves from one perspective mm -hmm. to the other. And to make that fluid, to make that um, feel like they exist in a kind of omniscience and yet they are very, very close up perspectives, it was my goal. And I hope I, hope I was successful in that. Uh, definitely when reading it. And um, I am curious when when writing it, how did you keep the perspective separate when need be and uh, balance, I guess, when bringing them together, especially when you're presenting um, kind of a more um, artfully melded narrative um, mm. where the way in places that it's melded is very deliberate, um, mm. but comes, needs to then come across as um, 
the modeling of time. But yeah, yeah, I think that's, I mean, that was the goal. I mean, and it was the challenge. Um, and so I think on a technical level, um, keeping, keeping the whole story and the whole narrative drive mm-hmm. in mind as uh, in, in order to withhold where I needed to withhold and, you know, give some information where I needed to give information. It, it's a bit like writing music, I think, mm-hmm. you know, it's a bit like, and, and certainly with the, with the bit of time that goes on, it's a bit like thinking about um, narrative as a, a, a structure of a, of a piece of music so that you know that there are rhythms that need to be kept up and then um, melodies that need to be imposed on the top and 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 sort of sometimes pauses and so it's it feels on a technical level a bit like I mean I haven't written a lot of music but uh, it feels a bit like how a composer um, uh, starts to uh, address those issues of something that needs to keep moving mm-hmm. as well as the decoration around those moments. Yeah absolutely um, we're kind of coming up, um, on our time. Um, okay. but the last thing I wanted to ask, um, that I saw as a bit of another recurring motif across the book, um, was the sense of wishes. So at the beginning when Rima and Jackson are, uh, sitting in the wedding ground watching the ceremony, there's also a wishing tree, uh, where guests are invited to, leave wishes there and then this the sense of wish comes back right at the end of the novel as well and really throughout um at the beginning Rima's wishing that she had an uncomplicated um kind of cultural background uh she wishes that her family uh structure was more like Jyoti's where Jyoti knows like exactly who all of her relatives are um but Rima- and she knows her and she knows her destiny yeah I think that's the key part that Jyoti knows her her destiny and Rima is in the moment of really trying to understand what yeah. her destiny is um, yeah but I also like how and and this is kind of where like the the character development aspect um of the narrative art comes in where Rima her wish moves away from that um and yeah I want to just yeah, yeah ask about the, the yeah no that's the tree and yeah that's really great back. yeah it's a great question and and you're and you're right um it does um form a kind of um motif throughout and I think in it I think that in if I could switch wish for desire mm-hmm. um I think that that both characters are both main the main characters are following their sense of desire and um, I, I mean and desire belonging is a desire as well and um, you know belonging is um, a, or or a desire to fit to feel right to to be in your own body um, with ease to um, you know they both have have separate desires but so they're so the thing that that um, Rima relinquishes is a sense of that desire being um, about a cultural one you know she's mm-hmm. for, I think from from learning through Jackson what a long-term love is she knows that her desire has to come that her desire anything that she will become has to come from mm-hmm. 
herself as a woman and not from anything else that might be imposed on her. And so, and, and then she wishes that for, um, for everyone, for Jackson, mm -hmm. but for everyone. So yeah, there is a sense of, of hope in the, in the book. Um, there, and, and also um, wish can have different connotations and mm -hmm. how it kind of goes from a, a, a tangible sense of wish where you can picture exactly what the wish is to mm -hmm. desire, which is a little harder to put into form. Yeah, which is more abstract, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yes, there's a wish... The, the wishes on the wishing tree, um, you know, that the, the Rima wishes that they um, stay awake. No, sorry, Jackson wishes that they stay awake to one another. Um, and that's mm -hmm. quite an abstract wish. And, and there's there's that. And then there's this, there's a, a desire that is bigger and more abstract than, than that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, Pleasure. For this really lovely conversation. Um, I think that's a, a great thought to leave listeners with. That's great. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for, for talking with me. That was Manahil Bandukwala in conversation with Tessa McWatt on the occasion of her latest novel, The Snow Line. As always, I want to thank you for listening and for supporting authors and booksellers through these difficult times. The only thing better than buying a great book is buying one from a great independent bookseller. If you enjoy the podcast or any of our virtual programming, please consider making a charitable donation and take a moment to rate and review the podcast in your podcasting app. We're told this helps spread the word. I want to thank the Ottawa Public Library, the Government of Canada, the Government of Ontario, the City of Ottawa, the Ontario Arts Council, the Canada Council for the Arts, Carleton University, and CBC for their ongoing support. This podcast is produced by Aaron Flynn, original music and sound engineering by Mike Dubé. Kira Harris is our program director, and I'm your host, Sean Wilson. Thank you for listening. Mm -hmm.